This week on the Pressure Cast, Rocket League comes to television, Sega comes to your smartphone, and mods return to Grand Theft Auto V. It's Monday, June 26, 2017. Everything happening in the world of video games is here, now, on the Pressure Cast. <laughs> Pressure Pals, welcome to the 187th on a motherfucking cop episode of the Pressure Cast. Video games are dumb.com's weekly news panic that posts every single Monday on iTunes and Stitcher and YouTube and TuneIn Radio and Google Play Music and lots of other places. Do me a favor. If you go to any of those services, why don't you leave a review, a five-star review? I don't know, whatever system each of these services have, please go there and give the PressureCast a five-star review. Plenty of people come back, and I know that we have more uh, viewers and listeners than we do reviews. So solve that for me, will ya? Just do me that favor, you know? One love. You know what I'm talking about? Wow, we have a lot to get to this week. We're going to be talking about all the business news in the chart park. We're going to be talking all about uh, the events of history and strong history. We're going to be talking about all the upcoming video games in the uh, hype train right there. But man, it is it has been a it has been a crazy week. Let me tell you, for me personally, it has been a crazy week. I've been I've been I've been going around outside because it's nice. It's warm out there, getting the sunshine. If you're out there and you're watching this or listening to this. And you're outside. Good for you. Good for you. It's warm out there. Get out there. Get a little bit of a tan unless you have some sort of skin disease. Otherwise, don't do that. That's dangerous. I'm not recommending that. You can't sue me. I put a disclaimer right there. I've been getting out there plenty and I've been enjoying myself. I've been listening to lots of good music while I'm walking around and podcasts and things like that. I just found out that there is a ton of indie rock music out of Thailand. Who knew? Thailand. And a lot of it's in English. It's really good. Uh, there's, a, there's a band out there called Plastic Plastic. I recommend them. They're on Spotify right now. They're awesome. But yeah, you know, I've been going around and it, it's weird. When you're, when you're walking around, you have to go into some place and maybe grab something to drink and you just you smell like shit. You're just, you're sweaty as fuck because you've been walking around the sun just beating down on you and there's just humidity, especially where I am. It's just nonstop humidity and heat. So I just look like a swamp monster rolling into some place. And I see an ice cream shop. <laughs> I saw an ice cream shop. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go in there. This looks like a nice place. Give myself some ice cream. I'm looking around. What do they got? They got strawberry shortcake. It's the flavor of the day. I'm thinking that sounds that sounds wonderful on this hot day. I'm melting. Let me have some of the strawberry shortcake. And I walk up there and I'm like, hey, uh, let me get one of those. And the guy's like, all right. And he's like, $10.38 or something like that. I'm like, what the fuck? $10. I'm looking at it. And this is one of those places where, you know, they got the, the, the screen pointing at you while it's pointing at the other person. You know, so you can see how everything's calculating. And this dude just threw on like a $5 gift card. I'm trying to figure out. I'm like, whoa, I don't I don't want the gift card, man. He's like, oh, my mistake. He's like 16 or something. He's like, my mistake. And he like gets rid of it. I'm looking at him and I'm just like, did you fucking do that on purpose? And I've been trying to figure out all week, like, where does what does he gain out of all of this? Was like the manager there? Like, we got to sell more fucking gift cards. I want to see 25 gift cards, especially out of you, Russell, whatever his name might be. Maybe it is Russell. This is all hypothetical. Or do you think he was just like not paying attention? He actually hit the button. I just can't imagine a world where the gift card button is right next to the, the ice cream button. <laughs> is that weird? Is that just me? So I've been thinking about it, just like, oh, he like, ah, fuck. Did I give that guy the evil eye for no reason? Am I just like some asshole? Or was he, tr- was he trying to put one over on me? And that's messing with me. 
And I'm going out there and I'm listening to my, my Thai <laughs> indie rock, enjoying my ice cream and in the back of my mind. It's just fucking with me. And I want to go back. I want to go back and talk to this guy. <laughs> but that's just going to make me look like a psycho. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Has nothing to do with video games at all, but that's okay. Because we gotta get on the train. Chug 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 chug. Here comes the train. Tooty toot toot. Boop boop. That's right. It's time for the hype train. Feel the PR vibrations as we barrel towards video game satisfaction station on the hype train. This is the bar show. We talk about all those upcoming video games and events to get you hyped up to spend your money, become a video game guru. Because capitalism and cash equals free speech. I don't know. That came out of nowhere. Uh, we got to start off talking about the PlayStation 4. And more importantly, the PlayStation E3 presentation that didn't have much to do with indies, which was kind of weird. And that is strange because not too long ago, there was a time when the PlayStation 4 was given that, that less than flattering nickname of Indie Station. Oh, PlayStation 4. All it's got are indie games. Between 2013 and 2016, Sony devoted lengthy portions of its press conferences around independent game projects. Uh, from multi-game montages, I'm sure you remember these, they used to have these montages where they'd show like a brief snippet of each game and they'd be like, PlayStation, you know, 2017, or whatever they'd put up on the screen. And then they'd occasionally give, you know, some indie games a little bit more focus uh you know I'm, I'm sure you remember back in i think it was 2014 was it 13 or 14 where they had uh four different indie games on stage at once that were all playing and then the guy would walk around with a microphone and interview the developers of course the biggest indie game they ever had was no man's sky which that turned out to world title no man's sky some other time but that'll change this e3 when the playstation stage presentation completely avoided the topic of indies altogether no indies whatsoever what's the deal well during an interview with gameindustry.biz the head of playstation sales and marketing jim ryan explained their absence uh fyi this is going to be a lengthy quote but i want to make sure that we get this all out here this is why jim ryan says they did not have indies on their stage presentation here's what he says quote one of the things we have realized is that these video collages of 10 indie games shown in a minute is almost meaningless. Nobody can really learn anything about the games in that sort of time. It's almost viewed as wasted time. There was a time and place in the early stages of the life of the PlayStation 4 to make statements. It was more about making a statement that we are serious about the indies and that we are doing this and that with the indies. I don't know what he means there. Uh, no Man's Sky and so forth, which broke out from that and carved out its own niche. You know, we have a ton of indie content on the platform and the fact that we have elected along with many others, such as Gran Turismo and Playlink, not to give it its own spot on the stage this week, in no means that it's not important or it's not there or we don't worry about it. It was just good to talk about it in 2013 and 2014. It's less relevant now. We have VR to talk about now, for example, end quote. Now, before I go any further with this, because I want to give my spiel on this, I just want to say, I believe Jim Ryan, or at least I believe that Jim Ryan believes what he says. I am sure from his perspective, a general montage of indie games isn't that informative to the viewer. So let's be clear, he's not a liar. I'm not calling him a liar. He's uh, explaining his own rationale and I believe that he believes that. Cool? Cool. However, to me, this statement shows a general disconnect between those that produce a show and those that watch the show, like us. And sadly, the example I'll have to use is the Microsoft press conference, which I know immediately makes people go, ah, console wars. But hey, 
Microsoft showed off some indie games uh, this year. I have to do that compare and contrast. But I want to take you back to 2014 when during the Xbox uh, conference, they had a bunch of indie games in a big montage. And one of those games was called Cuphead. And that eight or so seconds stuck with me. I actually rewound it, found Cuphead, Googled it, looked up the team, started looking up interviews on them. It's one of my most anticipated games of the year, and it's coming out this September, and I'm sure I'm going to pick it up. I've been looking forward to it ever since that eight-second clip. Now, let's look at the most recent Xbox conference. Once again, I want to say this is not console wars. I just need an example. I'm not knocking Sony compared to Microsoft. Or even if I was, this isn't just some sort of console wars like this. See how much better they are? Just hear me out. Over at Xbox, they went longer. It was, uh, the, the, the overall conference was over 90 minutes. And they gave time to Cuphead, uh, The Last Day premiered there, Artful Escape, that premiered there, Ashen premiered there, that was the one that looked like a bunch of mannequins going around a cave. Uh, and, and those went on to become some of the most memorable things at the show entirely. You know, as memorable to me as things like Super Mario Odyssey or God of War 3. Now, let's bounce back to that Sony press conference where they did not have indies and instead had VR titles. They showed a trailer for a game called Bravo Team. What did that tell me about Bravo Team? It showed me that there were guns and that it was in a city and that it was in VR. That's all it told me. That's, that's what that trailer told me. So, on the one hand, they're saying, oh, these montages, they don't communicate what the game is about. Well, Bravo Team didn't communicate anything to me. It just when we had guns and it took place in a city. like. Uh, this is not 1996 that literally says nothing about it at least when I look at these independent titles they have uh, very unique graphical styles or the gameplay seems to be a, a bit quirky like it leaves an impression because they are something different than the norm and lastly I want to say this what does this say to the indie developers who among them would be like oh you're just gonna show eight seconds nah don't even bother keep me off your stage presentation entirely are you kidding me? They would jump on that in a second. And if it sounds like I'm just knocking Sony, I am. Because for years, I've been really happy with the way that Sony has discovered and promoted and elevated indie titles. Hell, look at what happens every single month when they had the uh, PlayStation Plus uh, games of the month. Everyone's complaining, ugh, indies, I don't want any indies. Not me, I'm one of the few people that says indies are awesome, keep those in there because it gives a wider exposure to those uh, developers. Look at Rocket League, that was an independent game. That got a lot of exposure thanks to PlayStation Plus. Who could tell where that would be today? I mean, I'm sure it'd still be successful, but who could tell where it would be today if not for PlayStation Plus? So yes, uh, Sony also excluded their own first party titles like Gran Turismo and um, Netlink or whatever he called it back there. But that's to their detriment, you see, because at the, at the end of the day, their press conference was about VR games and third-person action games. That was really it. Think about it here. We had Spider-Man, we had uh, God of War, we had uh, Days Gone. It was all third-person action games. How nice would it have been to see something just slightly different, like an independent title, or hell, put Gran Turismo in there, a racing game, just something to cut it up, and then just lumping all these VR games together. It just, that didn't work for me. And it's sad because this ignores this this direction ignores what made the playstation 4 so special it seemed to be the console for all types of games and all types of players it wasn't just a very set uh path of you know cinematic third person games and to be clear the playstation 4 is still a great console this is just one presentation this changes absolutely nothing jim ryan is right independent games will still be released on the console but these presentations communicate 
how a company views itself and how it wants others to view it. And if Sony really believes that indies are no longer relevant to the general messaging of the console, it's coming dangerously close to the hubris that caused the PlayStation 3 to stumble and ironically, what caused them to embrace indies in the first place with the PlayStation 4. So it's incredibly important that they do not veer away from indies being in their messaging because those developers today are going to be the triple A's of tomorrow. I'm just saying, come on, PlayStation, indies are what brought you to the dance. Don't leave them out now that you're doing so well. Anyway, toot toot, let me know what you think. Leave a comment below or you can email pressurecast at gmail.com, tweet at VGA Dumb. All the links to that are in the description below. So just look up the description on your podcast app or this YouTube page. Let me know what you think about indies how important they are. Uh, toot toot. Speaking of independent developers, Player Unknown Battlegrounds was announced for the Xbox One earlier this month at E3. The hit third-person shooter, well, we're already talking about another third-person game, but whatever, <laughs> where 100 players must gather supplies and uh, eliminate each other while the stage slowly shrinks, in case you've never played Player Unknown Battlegrounds, that's basically what it is, you versus 99 other players, and the stage shrinks. Uh, it was recently announced that it sold over 4 million copies and is now coming to the Xbox One. This led some to speculate that this is becoming an exclusive for the Xbox One. However, the developer Blue Hole set the record straight when it released a statement to Game Informer. Here's what they said about, is it just gonna be on Xbox? Quote, we're excited to announce that Player Unknown Battlegrounds is coming to Xbox One. We always look at various platforms to potentially introduce our game, but have nothing further to announce at this time, end quote. Hmm. So it's already out on PC, and it's coming to Xbox One, and they're exploring other platforms. Where are they going? Are they going to the Ouya? Are they going to the Leapfrog? Are they coming to the Vita? <laughs> I mean, come on, they are clearly, clearly thinking about the PlayStation 4. I think it's kind of obvious that it's it's going to go to the PlayStation 4 sooner or later, because if they can release bat uh, Player Unknown Battlegrounds, we're just gonna call it Battlegrounds from now on. If they can get Battlegrounds running on the Xbox One, you know, it's there's no sort of hardware limitations to prevent a PlayStation 4 version. Not to mention the gigantic PlayStation 4 install base that I'm sure they want to make some money off of. But given the fact that this game is new, I'm going to assume that there's no sort of um, paid exclusivity because Phil Spencer has been saying in a lot of his interviews, he has no interest in paying for exclusives. Uh, ever since he became the head of Xbox, he's never paid for an exclusive. But that doesn't mean that they're not um, paying them in one way or another. That doesn't mean that Xbox has not paid them money to port the game, if in fact that's what they did, uh, without having any sort of exclusivity clause in that contract. So they're not paying for an exclusive, they're paying for development, which is actually a pretty big difference, if in fact that is the case, which is what I assume because there's no reason to just go to Xbox and not both consoles if uh if it's not exclusive so fret not if you have a playstation 4 this will probably arrive some point in the future either way i have not played the game yet i know it is out on pc i have a pc that could run it but i want to hold off for consoles so i hope it arrives soon cool toot toot uh last april the popular pc city building game city skylines made its console debut on the xbox one now they've announced city skylines will be jumping to the playstation 4 later this summer on august 15th mm. Just like the Xbox version, this will also include the Snowfall and Mass Transit expansions. <laughs> I always laugh whenever I read uh, uh, the Mass Transit on the uh, 
on the list right there. In case you don't know, there was a there was a pro wrestler who I believe was 16 years old, and his name was Mass Transit, and he was in this like really grimy wrestling organization called ECW, which is Extreme Championship Wrestling. And Mass Transit is is infamous in the world of wrestling because Mass Transit, uh, you know, you know when wrestlers bleed. That's called blading. They take a they take a they take an exacto knife or something and they cut their forehead, right? That's how they bleed. It's insane, I know. And apparently Mass Transit, the 16-year-old, who lied to get into this organization, he said he was 18 and that he'd been training for a few years. He'd never been training and he was not 18. He asked this guy named New Jack to cut him for him. He's like, Oh, I've never I've never bladed before. Can you do it for me? Now, if you know anything about pro wrestling, New Jack is a crazy person, and you would never want to hand him a knife and be like, can you cut me with that? So, <laughs> in the middle of this wrestling match, uh, New Jack takes out a blade and just cuts this, nearly scalps the motherfucker. I'm not even exaggerating. The footage is horrifying. Everybody starts freaking out and, and screaming and all sorts of shit, and it actually resulted in a lawsuit. So when you say mass transit, obviously it means mass transit, but it also means that horrible incident from pro wrestling. Either way, <laughs> City Skylines is coming to the PlayStation 4 on August 15th, and there's not much to say here uh, beyond pro wrestling, except to say that, yeah, it's cool. It's cool that um, this game is getting, uh, you know, it's being spread out to more consoles after it was released on the Xbox One in March. And if you've not played City Skylines, it's a really good uh, Sim City like city building game, you know, creating certain divisions of a town and making sure everything has enough power. It's really fun. So if that's your sort of thing, you definitely want to check this out. It's sadly, I guess, a class in its own because people don't make these games anymore. Toot toot. Moving over to mobile news, after a week of obtuse hints, Sega has finally unveiled their Sega Forever program. Each month, the company will release a handful of classic Master System, Game Gear, Sega Saturn, Dreamcast, and of course, Sega Genesis games onto mobile platforms. Uh, while these titles have been previously released, these versions will include two options. Either players can pay for an individual game for $2, or they can sit through brief 10-second ads before playing. Uh, the first month's lineup is available right now, so if you have an Android or uh, iOS smartphone, you can right now you can play for free Sonic the Hedgehog from the Genesis, uh, Altered Beast from the Genesis, Comic Zone from the Genesis, Kid Chameleon from the Genesis, and Fantasy Star 2 from the Genesis. Uh, virtual D-pads and buttons are the defaults, though you can also use a Bluetooth controller. Uh, also, there's going to be cloud saves and leaderboards, so that's kind of cool. You know, I uh, I like Sega. I really do. I grew up Sega kid, 100%. I owned a. Uh, a Genesis, a Game Gear, uh, didn't own a Saturn, so I, I rectified that, and I, I bought a Saturn later on, and now I have a, a Sega Saturn right now, I can see my Sega Saturn uh, right from here. Dreamcast, love the Dreamcast, went back and played a lot of Master System games, and uh, oh, and all the arcade titles that they did. I love Sega, I really do. So when I heard this news, I'm like, that's really cool! So I sat down, and I downloaded two games. And I did not enjoy myself. Uh, first of all, I played Kid Chameleon, which is like a really fast-paced platformer, um, which is awesome, you know, back on the Genesis. It's a really, really kind of cool game. Uh, you know, I'm not going to say it's like Meat Boy in terms of movement, but it kind of is. But it just doesn't work with a virtual D-pad. It just feels all mushy and sloppy. There's no tactile feedback, you know what I mean? On the other hand, you have things like Fantasy Star 2, which I also played. That's a turn-based RPG. Oh. You don't need quick reflexes for that. That'll be perfect, right? 
yeah, except that they totally messed up the sound chip. Like I was listening to the, the soundtrack from my smartphone. I'm like, what is wrong with my speaker? So I put on my, uh, I put on the, the headphones and it's like, no, this still sounds like crap. And so I just went on, on YouTube and I just started looking up music from Fancy Star and comparing and contrasting night and day. They did not get the sound, trip, uh, sound chip right, which has been a problem for Sega in the past when they released those micro uh, Sega consoles. Uh, but obviously they can go back and fix the audio and maybe they can work on the D-pad in some way. So all is not lost. Like this could still bounce back. This is just the first outing for them for, for Sega Forever. Uh, but that said, I'm really curious about what they're going to release uh, in the next year or so. Because if you watch the trailer, there's a name on a leaderboard when they're showing off the leaderboard capabilities. And it says Rent a Hero. And Rent a Hero was a game that was on the Genesis. And they had another one on the Dreamcast. Neither of which ever left Japan. They are Japanese exclusives. And if this video was for America... Why did they leave Rent-A-Hero there? Are we gonna get full translations of Sega Genesis games? I really hope so. That would be super cool. Side note, they also mentioned Sega Saturn here. How are they gonna do that? How are they going to release Sega Saturn games on a smartphone? And in case you don't know, the Sega Saturn has two separate CPUs uh, because they just bolted it on because they were trying to make the system 3D at the last second. And that architecture is a nightmare to emulate. It's still very difficult to emulate uh, Sega Saturn games. So I don't know how they're going to do that on a smartphone unless they build the game back from the ground up. And even then, like, I'm not sure that'd really be worth it. I mean, hey, I'll play Bug 2 on my smartphone. I don't know if anybody else will. I'm just saying. Toot toot. And lastly in the hype train, last year, Activision released Modern Warfare Remastered, an updated version of Call of Duty 4. Only catch was, it could only be purchased alongside Call of Duty Infinite Warfare and not as a standalone title. Now, eight months later, Activision has finally confirmed a separate release for Modern Warfare Remastered is set for this Tuesday, June 27th for $40 and is only coming to the PlayStation 4 as of right now. Now, this is worth noting, this does not include the DLC map pack released back in March. I'm kind of surprised this story hasn't received more traction. It has everything that people usually like to cover in the news. It, it has a controversy. I mean, it's a Call of Duty game, so automatically it's controversial because some people are always going to freak out and be like, I hate Call of Duty. Uh, secondly, uh, the Xbox version won't be out for another month. So there's console war controversy right there because of the uh, exclusive deal between uh, Sony and uh, Activision when it comes to Call of Duty. And third, it's $40. Lots of people like to complain about price. But for whatever reason, this news didn't go very far. Color me surprised. Color me surprised. But I'm going to bet this is going to sell generally well to the public. I mean, heck, you know, Activision already made the cash selling it in the first place. So just doing this re-release, it makes plenty of sense. Good on them. Toot toot. I like Call of Duty. Get over it. I also like Yakuza. I like lots of games. Relax. Toot toot. Alright, here are the games that are going to be coming out this week. On Tuesday, Elite Dangerous is coming to the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. Uh, also on Tuesday, Final Fantasy 15 Episode Prompto will be out on the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. That game came out back in November, and we're now just getting DLC. That's not very prompto at all. Valkyria uh, Revolution is coming to the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and Vita. Always cool to see Vita on the list. Also on Tuesday, The Golf Club 2 will be on the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. I played the original Golf Club. I thought it was pretty good, and I really liked the way that you could build your own um, golf courses. So uh, I'd say keep your eyes out for The Golf Club 2. That was a pretty cool... Uh, the first one was pretty cool. 
Also on Tuesday, Danganronpa, another episode, Ultra Despair Girls, will be on the PlayStation 4 and PC. This is the third-person shooter that was originally released on the Vita that takes place in the Danganronpa universe. I played a bit of this, wasn't entirely blown away, but if you're a fan of the, uh, of the story, I'm sure you'll, you'll get a kick out of it. Also on Tuesday, Ancient Amulator. That's a hell of a name. Uh, also on Tuesday, RPG Maker FES will be out on the Nintendo 3DS. Cannot believe they're still making RPG Maker games. No complaints by my end. I think that's awesome they're still doing it because uh, that actually starts the career of many a designer and a developer. So good on them. Also on Tuesday, Arizona Sunshine on the PlayStation 4 and the 10th Line on the PlayStation 4. There's some indie games right there for you. On Friday, Tokyo Xanadu will be on the PlayStation Vita. Uh, I don't know what that game is about, but I like the cover. It's all black and white. I'm sure someone will let me know in the comments. Uh, also on Friday, Micro Machines World Series will be on the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. And finally, on the PlayStation 4, Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy will be on the PlayStation 4. That's my pick of the week. That's the game that I want to get myself a copy of and sit down and play. Because I played Crash Bandicoot 1, 2, and 3 uh, not too long ago. Not too long ago. Let me tell you. I'm worried about that. Not, not because the remake looks bad or anything, but I don't think people realize how fucking hard those games are. They are brutal. You will die over and over and over again, especially in the 2D stages on the first game. Wait and see. Beep, beep. That's gonna do it for the hype train. Good old hype train. Beloved hype train. Wow. You know, we still gotta go to the chart park, and we also have to talk about strong history. Before we do that, I should mention... This YouTube channel and potentially the pressure cast are going to be going through some changes over the next, I don't know, couple of months. I still have to work on exactly what's going to happen, but there's going to have to be changes. Now, if you're already listening to the second half of the show, I assume that you actually have some attachment to what I produce. And I want to hear from you guys. What do you want? <laughs> Seriously, what do you want? Because the views are not doing very well. Views are way down. Subscribers still goes up. No one sticks around to actually watching the content. I'm not sure why that is. I'm trying to figure that out. I'm trying to solve that right now. Uh, PressureCast is pretty consistent when it comes to the audio version. Video version, not so much. So I need to really figure out how to evolve video games are dumb as a whole. And I have a few ideas, just really trying to work workshop things, working on things that you'll never see because they need to be, you know, made and then remade and then remade. Also, I'm practicing doing more streams and, and things like that. But I really want to hear from you guys. If you're sticking around to the second half of the show, you need to let me know what you like about this stuff or what you'd like to see more of and less of. I won't take offense. I promise. I might take offense. I might take a little offense. But you know what? That's okay because that's honest feedback and that means I need to listen to it. Cool? Cool. Wow. After that serious talk, I think we need to step outside. <gasps> oh, I know a place that's always warm with the glow of cold, hard cash. That's right, it's time for... The Chart Park. The land where money grows on trees. Yes, the Chart Park. This is the part of the show where we talk about the legal, business, and financial news in the video game industry. And we find out which fat cats of Wall Street will tip their top ads towards Lady Luck. We're going to start off talking about Rocket League. That's right, Rocket League. Since 2015, Rocket League has been a surprising smash hit, not only at retail, but in the world of esports. Now, NBC will be the latest television network to join the growing market of professional games when it airs Rocket League 2v2 grand finales on August 26th through the 27th. It's going to be a two-day event. The event will be broadcast on the NBC Sports Network, or NBCSN. 
in America at least, and it'll be on the Sci-Fi Channel elsewhere in the world because of course Sci-Fi is owned by NBC. Yes, just NBC. I almost wanted to say NBC Universal, but NBC doesn't own Universal. Do they? I don't know. Uh, the Vice President of NBC Sports, uh, Rob Samel Jair, I got that name right. I'm gonna give myself a pat on the back right there. He explained the network's decision to air Rocket League. Here's what he said, quote, We thought that it had some sports DNA to it, which would be a good fit for us and for our audience. Our sports-loving audience. It's obviously, it's obviously got this sort of soccer mashup with motorsports, which are sports that we cover extensively on NBC Sports Network. End quote. Thanks for that quote there, buddy. Uh, the winners of the 2v2 tournament will score a grand prize of $100,000, presumably to split that 50-50, because if you're not, you're you're a bad teammate, or you're really generous. I don't know. I gotta say, Rocket League, it's so cool to see it just continue to grow. I mean, if you listen back to the Game of the Year episode of the Pressure Cast back in 2015, uh, it should be late December, uh, 2015. I talked about how much I loved Rocket League, but there was this feeling that it might go away. Like I was worried, like, oh, I love Rocket League so much I don't want it to go. Like I had a feeling it'd be like NBA Jam. Like, oh man, I love playing NBA Jam on the Genesis and the SNES and then it just gets taken away from me and then I gotta wait for the Xbox 360 Wii and then, uh, you know, uh, PlayStation 3 version and then we jump over to a new generation and there's no more NBA Jam. I didn't want to see that happen to Rocket League. And happily, I was totally wrong because not only is Rocket League growing, its popularity is accelerating. Yes, accelerating. It's not only getting more popular, it's getting more popular faster. They've already sold 10 million copies of the game so far. It dominates on Twitch. Now, this popularity is actually growing so much, and apparently the money is growing so much, that they're actually sponsoring other events. Rocket League is sponsoring events. Like, I don't know if you saw uh, the most recent uh, WWE pay-per-view. Yes, we're talking about pro wrestling again. Rocket League sponsored a pay-per-view. Like, there were these, these pro wrestling announcers that had to be like, and tonight's event is sponsored by Rocket League, a perfect merger of soccer and motorsports. Like, it was so surreal watching that, just remembering where Rocket League came from. Which, of course, is on the PS3 with that supersonic robot cars, whatever the hell they call that game. Um, but I'm curious, you know, can this sustain esports mainstream attention? And in my opinion, not only will it be very successful as a mainstream esport, it has a better chance of any other esport to actually loop in casual viewers. People that don't even play the game, but will actually watch it. Because first of all, it's really simple. You put the goddamn ball in the goddamn net. Not a complicated concept right there. There's no fouls, there's no breaks. Uh, it's just nonstop plays. And that simplicity makes it so far ahead of like MOBAs. You know, like watching a MOBA and trying to figure out what the hell is happening if you've never played one. That's quite a challenge. Secondly, it's non-violent. This isn't Street Fighter. This isn't uh, Counter-Strike. It's not Rainbow Six Siege. I guess Rainbow Six Siege is not an eSport, but you know what I mean. Uh, it's cars driving around, hitting a big ball. And yeah, sometimes the cars blow up, but it's like a cartoon explosion. It's no big deal. It's like an old school cartoon, you know? Uh, and I think it's funny that that Rocket League is, is just so much more popular with, with casual people. Like, you can show it to a casual fan and they get it. They get it right away. And they also see when people are doing tricks, like if someone's doing a backflip, right away they get that that's a cool trick. And I was, I've been thinking about this, like, why is Rocket League doing so well? Like, why is Rocket League becoming the, this big thing? And I think it has a lot to do with just what video games started as. And that would be, you know, table tennis for two 
or Pong. Yeah, Pong, we're going all the way back. Think about it, Pong is what kicked off video games into mainstream success at all. And I think Rocket League could do the exact same for eSports. Or it could be a total flop. But I think it's gonna work because Rocket League's a damn good game. Anyway, toot toot. Wait, no, no, no toot toot. We are not on the hype train. That is on me, I apologize. Speaking of Rocket League, it was recently announced that the upcoming Nintendo Switch version of the game would support cross-play with PC and Xbox One versions. Nintendo of America's communications director, Charlie Shibeta, explained Nintendo's direction to connect networks. So here's Nintendo's official statement, or at least from Charlie Shibeta, as to why they're agreeing to connect their networks with Xbox and PC. Quote, I'm really happy just as a gamer, let alone working for the company, that this is going to be possible. We're trying to be more flexible as a company. We're reaching out to try and get people to interact with our IP. In this case, Rocket League is Synox's IP on our system, but we're trying to get people involved with us in any way we can. End quote. Makes sense. You know, good news. Rocket League is going to be connected to the Xbox, the Switch, and the PC. Hmm. Feels like we're forgetting somebody there. Ah, that's right, the PlayStation 4. Because Sony just refuses. Uh, I mean, Synox has said as much. They're like, hey, we could flip the Switch tomorrow. We could have everybody connected. Microsoft has said yes publicly. Obviously, you know, PC has no real choice in the matter. It's obvious that, and even Nintendo's doing it, Sony is the holdup. Sony is the holdup. And I know people are up in arms over Sony's reluctance to connect networks. How dare they, right? But of course they're reluctant. They're in the lead. Here's the thing people tend to overlook. Every generation, whoever is selling the best, they call the shots. And they don't give a shit about what the rest of the guys are doing. I mean, we are talking about, you know, indie titles in the first segment of the show. Xbox, they gave them a stage presence. Nintendo even gave them a nickname, Nindies. Sony, they weren't on the stage at all. Why not? Because they're in the lead, well ahead of the lead than everyone else. And, and the reason Nintendo and Xbox care so much is because they are far, far below in second place. I mean, Nintendo in third place, Microsoft's in second place. I mean, you just heard what uh, what uh, Sabata just had to say right there, where he's like, we're, we're doing whatever we can to bring people to our brand. They have to do that. Sony, it's a foregone conclusion because people already own a PlayStation 4, and if they want to play online, if someone wants to play online, they're going to go look at their friends and see what they're playing. They're playing on PlayStation 4, more than likely. And that's what happens, you know, when you become uh, just the biggest console manufacturer there. When, when, you, when you start off, right, and you're trying to bring in that audience, you are more accommodating to your customers. I mean, remember when the PlayStation 4 launched and everyone was like, oh, they are so consumer friendly compared to the uh, the Xbox brand because there are all those rumors going around. That's what won Sony that audience. But as time goes on and they get more popular, they have to protect their brand. So don't be mad at them. That's just the way everything's working out. But you know what? It's not all bad because this situation is forced Nintendo to connect Rocket League to other networks. Not to mention Minecraft, that's also gonna happen, and that's something that would never happen during the Wii generation. Nintendo would be like, we don't care. We're making too much money. We're making too much money off this DS. We're selling extra styluses at GameStop and Target. But right now, they have to care. Moving on, uh, but how will you play Rocket League on your Nintendo Switch if you can't find a Nintendo Switch? Well, attempting to keep up with strong demand, the uh, Nintendo, the Nintendo, has released a statement reassuring fans that 
more consoles will be on their way shortly. Quote, and this is a quote from Nintendo, from a just a PR statement, uh, for autumn and beyond, we will continue to work to ensure that many products as possible can be delivered to our customers towards the end of the year. End quote. Uh, the statement was made in regards to the upcoming Splatoon 2 console bundle, but in related news, the Switch has already sold 1 million consoles in Japan, just Japan, over 1 million. That 16 week record puts it slightly below the Wii, but well above the Wii U. Which of course the Wii U didn't sell all that well to begin with, so whatever. Uh, yes, this is another week where we're talking about, hey, the Switch is selling really well. And I think it's great that Nintendo is doing so well. As they, you know, when, what's that thing about the big, the big tide and all the boats rise? That thing, that's what's happening right here. But for me, I'm still slightly cautious about where the Switch sales will be in 18 months. Like when enough people get their hands on it, will they really want it? Just saying, after 18 months, I really want to see where these sales go. Either it's going to keep on rising or it's already going to have hit a peak. We're going to have to wait and see. But this right here, generally good news. Though I'm starting to wonder if Nintendo in fact is holding back stock, not to create artificial demand or anything like that, but maybe they want to keep up with the holiday rush. I mean, think about this. We're in June right now, and it's hard to get a console because people are so fervently picking up every single shipment. What's it going to be like in November? So maybe they do need to hold back some stock just to be able to meet the demand for holiday 2017. As for the Japanese news, uh, that's kind of a given. I always felt that this console was designed for the Japanese market first and foremost. And, uh, and actually the Wii U did pretty good in Japan. Splatoon was a top seller for months. So it made sense to me that it was going to hit that number. Still uh, a real success. Good news all around. Awesome. Anyway, and uh, moving on. <laughs> I'm not doing so good with these fucking segues this week. You hearing that? <laughs> it's like I'm, it's like I'm, uh, it's like I'm drifting in a car. We gotta go to the next story. <laughs> All right. Uh, last week we were talking about how Take Two Interactive sparked controversy when it took legal action to shut down Open IV or Open Four, whatever you want to call it. It's a popular mod tool that's used on Grand, oh, on uh, Rockstar Games which of course is a subsidiary of Take-Two. And as such, Open4 agreed to end development. Now, this angered a lot of users that took to Grand Theft Auto V's Steam page and they bombed it with tens of thousands of negative reviews. However, it appears Open4 will continue development after all, as the mod recently set out a brand new update and Rockstar updated its Q&A page addressing the user and agreement for mods uh, for Grand Theft Auto V. This is from their Q&A page. This is gonna be a long quote, but trust me, you're gonna wanna hear this. It's great legalese. Quote, Rockstar Games believes in reasonable fan creativity and in particular wants creators to showcase their passion for our games. After discussions with Take-Two, Take-Two has agreed that it in generally will not take legal action against third-party projects involving Rockstar's PC games that are single-player, non-commercial, and respect the intellectual property IP rights of the parties. This does not apply to multiplayer or online services, tools, files, libraries, or functions that could be impact or could be used to impact multiplayer or online services or use uh, importation of other IP, including other Rockstar IP in this project. So real quick, we should explain what exactly does that mean? Uh, first and foremost, it does mean that yes, Open 4 will continue because they're like, okay, it's single player, no big deal, come on back, it's all good. Uh, but that final part where they're saying, oh, you cannot import other IP, including other Rockstar IP in the project, 
that is probably a reference to, I forget the name of it, but someone was trying to rebuild Liberty City in Grand Theft Auto V, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, I believe Rockstar shut that down. So they, they can continue that. Like, don't bring in other IP, including our own stuff. You're trying to bring in Liberty City? Hell no. Nah. We're not allowing it. Uh, let's continue. Uh, this is not a license and it does not constitute endorse approve does not constitute endorsement, approval, or authorization of any third-party project. Take two reserves the right to object to any third-party project or to revise, revoke, and or withdraw this statement at any time in their own discretion. This statement does not constitute a waiver of any rights that take two may have with respect to third-party projects. End quote. Whew. I told you it's pretty good legalese. Even, the, even at the end of the statement, they're like, oh, and by the way, we can just change the statement. It doesn't even matter. So, in other words, mods uh, will not be legally taken down for the time being. Uh, obviously, they sent a cease and desist over to uh, Open4. You, you read that Rockstar statement, they're like, oh, we talked to Take-Two, and we're changing a few things, and then Open4 sends out an update. It sounds like everything's groovy, as long as they don't mess with multiplayer. But Open4 doesn't even mess with Grand Theft Auto Online, so it doesn't really matter to begin with. I will say, it's been hilarious watching the response to this revision. Like, Rockstar puts out this statement, Take 2 changes their position, and, and you still have these people out there that are saying, Who cares? We still need to protest. Like, protest what? Like, are you going down the street? With signs in hands? Boo, Rockstar! What are you protesting? They solved the problem. Or even, a bit, even, even that is acting like Grand Theft Auto V hasn't already sold 80 million copies. And that this protest is somehow actually going to impact, like somehow they're going to sell their copies back to Take-Two, like that works. Or even the idea that this will somehow impact Red Dead Redemption 2 sales. Like, come on. I mean, look, I don't think they should ban mods either. But this continued resentment is just petty. It's just holding on to anger. It's one thing if you, the individual, personally says, I'm not buying Rockstar games anymore. I'm not buying anything from Take-Two. Fair enough. That's a personal position. And you may even uh, be vocal about your position in, in, in a certain context. But to be going all over the internet and being like, we're creating a movement. It's like, shut the fuck up. Like, there are some places that I don't buy stuff from. Like, around here. Like, because, you know, every once in a while, a local shop will have some sort of scandal. Something real fucked up will happen over there. You hear about the management. You hear how they treat the employees. You hear how they treat the customers or something like that. And I, those, those are the types of places where I'm like, nope, I'm not buying stuff ever again from there. Never again. I'm not doing it. But I don't, I, I'm not out there with, like, you know, a picket sign. You know? No big deal. You do you. I'm just not going to bother with it. And I feel like the internet should learn that attitude. But they just want to stay mad, don't they? It's weird how these sort of controversies always crop up right in between summer vacation. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? Hmm. I don't know. Weird. Must be the heat. Anyway, moving on. It looks like SAG-AFTRA, the... <clears throat> let's try that again. Take two. All right, I'm feeling good. Take two. All right, here we go. It looks like the SAG-AFTRA strike has claimed yet another victim. Last year, the Union for Voice Actors for Video Games, I think that's technically what it is, went on strike until a new contract could be resolved. So far, there's been little to no progress reported. Now, according to actor Alice... Allison Court, best known for her role as Claire Redfield in the Resident Evil franchise, 
The remake of Resident Evil 2 will now have an all-new voice cast. She took to her uh, YouTube page and posted a video that said this, Quote, I would have done it because I know you guys wanted me to, and I really appreciate your support. I appreciate the outrage you have towards Capcom and everybody involved, but unfortunately, as far as I know, they chose to go non-union with the voice performances. End quote. Uh, and this isn't just her saying this. The voices of Aiden Wong and Leon Kennedy have also confirmed they are not involved in the remake of Resident Evil 2. You know, you might be saying like, what? Who cares about like the voice actors in a, in a Resident Evil game? Well, believe it or not, the, uh, the Alison Court has been the voice of Claire Redfield dating all the way back to Resident Evil 2 where the character was first introduced. She, she also played the character in uh, uh, basically Code Veronica, um, any of the games that she appears in, even the movies, those animated CG movies. So here's the really weird thing, though, about the SAG-AFTRA strike. Um, if you are a member of SAG-AFTRA and you are on strike, you can still work. You just can't work for certain companies. Like, I think Activision Blizzard are on that list. Uh, EA is on that list. But Capcom is one of the few major publishers that is not on the list. So SAG-AFTRA employees could totally work for Capcom. They're not on strike against Capcom. This is true. This is absolutely true. So why on earth Capcom would decide to exclude union voice actors is anyone's guess. And maybe it's all just a, a weird coincidence, but seriously, why after 20 years would they just kick off one of their most popular voice actors? For, you know, uh, someone that's been with that, that character all that time. Why would they just get rid of them at the same time the strike is happening? It just doesn't make any sense. I guess it's also worth saying that's the first time we've heard about that Resident Evil 2 remake in some time, huh? <laughs> anyway, let's move on to the next story. It's official. The Project Rap Rabbit Kickstarter has failed. Uh, the game was being developed by the creators of Prap the Rappa and Guitaro Man, but unfortunately, its Kickstarter fell well below its requirements, only pulling in 161,000 pounds, pound sterling, of its 855 pound goal. However, all may not be lost. Responding to the failed crowdsource campaign, the team updated his Kickstarter page with some cryptic hints about the future. Here's what it says, quote, while you didn't see Project Rap Rabbit at any of the confidence or booths during E3 week, we had a very, very, very busy E3 filled with meetings about our vision for the future of rhythm action. So what happens next? At this moment, it's far too early to say, but thanks in part to your overwhelming support, we know that our vision for Project Rap Rabbit hasn't gone unnoticed." End quote. Okay, if I had to guess, that basically means Project Rap Rabbit is dead. <laughs> Seriously, what publisher is going to look at that Kickstarter that completely flopped and be like, oh yeah, there's a demand for that. Hmm, not going to happen. But I would not be surprised if, uh, if some of these developers were like, oh, whoa, 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 you guys are together? You're going to make another one of those games? We want you on board, but they want something new. They want something original. They don't want Project Rap Rabbit. They, they view that as a failure. I mean, they could always go for like Prap of the Rapper 3 over with PlayStation or Guitar Man 2. Uh, I don't remember who published that, but I'm sure that they could get that that on board. And yes, I know that, you know, Guitar Man and, and Prop of the Rapid 2 didn't exactly sell all that well. But if they're taking meetings, there must be some sort of interest, right? Hmm. Anyway, moving on, we now have the top 10 best-selling games 
in the United States for the month of May. That's right, in between all this E3 stuff, the NPD finally released uh, its information about the month of May in America when it comes to game sales. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about the details of the month. First, PlayStation took the top spot, becoming the best-selling console of the month, which I don't think got a whole lot of coverage because everyone was like, oh my God, you know, the Switch, the Switch took April and it took March. It's the best-selling console ever. Well, no, PlayStation is back once again in first place. Just saying. Maybe that has something to do with shortages. Who knows? Whatever. Uh, overall game sales for the period reached $271 million. That's up 20% from May of last year. Total sales saw a slight slip of 11%, dropping to $542 million. And yet, here's the weird thing about it. 2017 is still on track to match, not surpass, 2016 revenue, which is kind of weird because you think that the Switch selling so well would sort of do better or you think all the games are selling so well. Nope. Right now, it's just going to be the sales overall are, are flat, but you know, we haven't hit fall yet. Who knows? 2017 could be a bigger year. Now, here are the top 10 best-selling games for the month of May in America. Uh, worth noting that the MPD does include digital sales. However, some games do not uh, some publishers do not provide digital sales, and I'll let you know when we get there. So number 10 was Overwatch, which did not have digital sales. Number 9 was MLB The Show on the PlayStation 4. Number 8 was NBA 2K17. Number 7 was Fire Emblem Echoes Shadows of Volantia, which of course did not provide digital sales because that's Nintendo. Number 6 was Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon Wildlands. Number 5 was Prey which Bethesda did not provide digital sales for. Number four was Zelda Breath of the Wild, also no digital sales. Number three was Grand Theft Auto V. Number two was Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, no digital sales there. And number one in its debut month was Injustice 2. Good for Injustice 2, that was a, a darn good game. Um, although, I, you know, once again, I can't help but wonder, like Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, was that really the best-selling game of the month? We don't know, because Nintendo doesn't provide digital sales, which is kind of shitty. Now let's go over to the cursed land of tea and crumpets to find one of the best-selling games in the United Kingdom for the week. Number 10 was Rocket League. Number 9 was Injustice 2. Number 8 was Overwatch. Number 7 was FIFA 17. Number 6 was Tekken 7. Number 5 was Wipeout Omega Collection. Number 4 was Dirt 4. Number 3 was Grand Theft Auto 5. Number 2 was ARMS. And number 1 was Horizon Zero Dawn? Horizon Zero Dawn. Are you sure about that? Released in February, right? It, it was it was a February game here. It's number one over in the UK. Why? Okay. What? A, good. One of the best games of the year. Congratulations. Now let's go to the cursed land of bullet trains, known as Japan, to find one of the ten best-selling games and consoles over there for the week. Number 10 was Pokemon Sun and Moon on the 3DS. Number 9 was Nier Automata on the PlayStation 4. Number 8 was Grand Theft Auto 5 on the PlayStation 4. God damn it, Japan, don't you know we're boycotting Rockstar? Don't you know that? Number 7 was Dragon Ball Heroes Ultimate X on the 3DS. Number 6 was Yeast 8 Lacromos of Dana on the PlayStation 4. Number 5 was Tekken 7 on the PlayStation 4. Number 4 was Monster Double Cross on the 3DS. Number 3 was The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild on the Nintendo Switch. Number 2 was Mario Kart Deluxe. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe on the Nintendo Switch. And number 1 was ARMS on the Nintendo Switch. So, the top 3. Zelda, ARMS, uh, Mario Kart, Triple Crown. Nintendo's doing okay over in Japan. It's doing all right. Now let's find out where the best-selling consoles over in Japan, if you will. 
Starting off with the bestseller, the Nintendo Switch with 37,709. That's up over 10,000 units from the week before. That's just crazy. Uh, in second place was the PlayStation 4 with 18,251. New 3DS LL with 11,592. PlayStation 4 Pro with 5,795. PlayStation Vita with 4,149. 2DS with 2,655. New 3DS with 815. Xbox One with 308. PlayStation 3 with 298. Wii U with 199, which means for the first First time in six weeks, the Xbox One is not in last place over in Japan. Congratulations. I guess technically it would be five weeks. It'd be five weeks. But congratulations. We were talking about how Phil Spencer is not giving up on Japan when it comes to the Xbox brand. And it shows. Because it outsold the Wii U and the PlayStation 3. But not the new 3DS. But that's going to do it for the chart park. The land where money grows on trees. We've now come to the final segment of the Pressure Cast. This is the part of the show where we take a look back at the week that was so 10 years ago and beyond. It's a little something we like to call Strong History! 10 years ago on the Xbox 360, The Darkness was released. Now, this is a super cool first-person shooter about being a mob boss with demon powers. But one of the reasons it worked so well is that it was developed by Starbreeze, the team behind the Chronicles of Riddick, uh, Escape from Butcher Bay, and the 2012 reboot of Syndicate. Now, weirdly enough, the sequel for The Darkness would be developed by Digital Extremes for no apparent reason. But both of the games turned out well. It's just like, hey, why didn't you bring back Starbreeze? I don't, I don't get it. Whatever. 13 years ago on the PlayStation 2 and Xbox, and I believe GameCube, maybe GameCube came later, Spider-Man 2 was released. Now, back in 2004, there were two things you could generally bet on. One, movie games suck, and two, comic book superhero games suck. So it took me by surprise when Spider-Man 2 turned out to be excellent. Catching on to the trend of the Grand Theft Auto clones, Spider-Man allowed players to swing around New York City with complete freedom. The only catch was your web had to connect to real-world objects. You couldn't be swinging around in the sky. But this limitation only added to a real sense of realism, for lack of a better word. Now, publisher Activision were so impressed, they actually took the developer of this game, Treyarch, and let them handle the Call of Duty franchise alongside Infinity Ward. And that was a pretty good call, because now, 10 years later, Treyarch and their Black Ops series have become mega blockbusters. I guess it was 13 years, not 10 years. You know what I mean. 17 years ago, on the Nintendo 64, Kirby 64, The Crystal Shards was released. Now, this right here, this, this game right here, this right here, is where I lost all of my interest in Kirby. Oh, I love the character Kirby, but the games... They matter not to me, because after wondering for years how are they going to take Kirby and put him in the 3D on the 64? They opted not to, just releasing another fucking 2D platformer. Oh, of course, there were some new features. You could take two powers and combine them into one. But other than that, it's just more of the same. Make a 3D Kirby already. I don't know what you're waiting for. Also, the same year, the same week, Diablo 2 was released on the PC. Now, Diablo 2 should have been a complete disaster. Maybe even a failure. First of all, here's something crazy. They didn't even have a design document during production. According to the project lead, Eric Schaefer, they just kept making new stuff. And their playtesters also weren't all that impressed. They kept saying the game was more of the same. And this is despite the fact that only 1% of the original code from Diablo was brought over to Diablo 2. So, oh, and one other thing. They were also a year late from their initial uh, outline. 
They said it was going to take two years. They were deep into their third year of development. And yet, Diablo 2, despite not having a design document, despite uh, the playtesters not being very impressed, despite the fact that it took way too long of a time, which presumably means it went over budget, it still went on to sell millions of copies. Even shortly before Diablo 3 dropped, Blizzard reported over 11 million players were still active in Diablo 2, which is insane. Now, back then, it might have looked like a misguided effort, but today, Diablo 2 is one of the best games of all time. Congratulations, Blizzard. 18 years ago, in the year of 1999, Driver was launched on the PlayStation. Now, if you didn't play Driver back in 1999, you probably won't be all that impressed about it today. All you do is you drive around in a town and complete missions. But when it was released, it was considered revolutionary. Now, open world games had yet to truly take off, and the open world games that did exist, say, uh, the Elder Scrolls franchise or the original Grand Theft Autos, those were pixels, not polygons, with very limited graphics, but Driver 3 matched its exceptional 3D controls, mm, 3D graphics with tight controls, realistic storylines, and breathtaking car chases. Now, it's not gonna blow back your hair today, but it's one of the most important games of all time, and really did educate the direction that we would see with open world games. In fact, the developer of this game, Reflections, were bought out by Ubisoft a few years back, and they were recently put in charge of revamping the driving system for last year's Watch Dogs 2. That's how much respect Driver still has in the industry today. How cool is that? 19 years ago, in 1998, Banjo-Kazooie launched on the Nintendo 64. Now here's a game whose development is just as interesting as the final project. The original Banjo-Kazooie dates all the way back to the 16-bit era. That's right, Rare was working on it back on the SNES, but they were calling it Project Dream, and uh, they were attempting to reproduce the graphical styles of, of the Donkey Kong Country uh, series, where they would pre-render it in, in 3D and make a sprite out of it and then put it onto uh, the SNES. And it was going to be about a boy who would battle pirates. I guess that's a good idea. But as time moved on, so did the platform. It went from the SNES to the Nintendo 64, and Project Dream slowly evolved into Banjo-Kazooie, swapping out the pre-rendered graphics for full polygons and changing the protagonist from a boy to a bear with a magical backpack. But sooner or later, the team noticed that having legs pop out of a backpack was cool, but it didn't make a whole lot of sense. So instead, they created the character Kazooie. I think Kazooie's the bird. Yes. Now, released in 1998, Banjo-Kazooie would go on to sell over 2 million copies and create a fan base that remains just as passionate today as it did when it came out. Pretty cool, huh? And lastly... Well, semi-lastly. This is the second to last one. In strong history. 19 years ago. Nope. 21 years ago? 19 years ago. On the original PlayStation, Tomba was released. Now, historically speaking, there's not much to say about Tomba. As a franchise, it was, uh... It was cool. It was a 2.5D platformer. At least the original was. They made it go 3D in the sequel. You played as a pink-haired boy who fought an army of pigs. And that's all that you can really say about it without, you know, giving it a simple review. And, uh, it did get one more sequel. And then the developer, Whoopi Camp, closed. And if you remember Tomba, you probably liked Tomba. But most people don't remember Tomba. However, the director of the project, Tokoru Fujiwara, was a bit of a journeyman when it comes to Japanese business standards. See, he started when he joined Konami back in 1982 and designed the game Rock and Rope for the arcade. But then he promptly quit and then joined up with the brand new company, Capcom, in 1983, where in 1985, he would create 
Ghosts and Goblins, and Bionic Commando. Not bad, right? He would advance to the royal producer for Little Nemo, DuckTales, Street Fighter 2010, as well as the first three Mega Man X titles, and even the first Resident Evil. So he's been there for a while, right? But nope! After 13 years, he left Capcom to start Whoopi Camp in 1996, which as we already said, they released two Tomba games, and then they closed. Undeterred, he immediately started a new company called Deep Space, uh, where he became the director of Hungry Ghosts and produced the game Extermination, both of which were mildly well-received, before finally rejoining Capcom in 2005 to design Mad World on the Wii in 2009. Yes, Mad World. Now, that's where the story ends, at least for the time being, and it's actually hard to find any information of what uh, Mr. Fujiwara is doing or what he's been up to for the past eight years. But if history is any indication, you can never be sure what he's planning next. I thought that was a cool story. Also, 20 years ago, in 1997, Star Fox 64 was released. And let me tell you, I didn't, uh, Star Fox 64 is a very interesting game, but I think it's the development that makes it more astounding. It's not so much the game we got, but the game that we didn't get, because the original Star Fox was, uh, fairly successful, at least with the, uh, FX chip that attracted a lot of players. So, they immediately started up production on a sequel, Star Fox 2, for the Super Nintendo. And by all accounts, uh, Nintendo and Argonaut Studios, Argonaut being the original developers of Star Fox and Star Fox 2, they were well into production, when suddenly they just decided, nope, it's too late, we're going to the 64, and they pulled the plug. Now Nintendo went solo, leaving Argonaut behind, which is kind of shitty because Argonaut brought this technology to them. So instead, Nintendo began developing a Nintendo 64 version of Star Fox. And, and let me say, you know, when we talk about uh, Kirby, where we talk about some of these Nintendo franchises, and it's like, oh, what do you want? These games are simple. You can't really do anything with them. I think Star Fox 64 really broke that mold because they made a game that allows you to really replay it in different ways because for every victory you had, there were two different directions you could go. And if you went in one direction, you experienced a fairly different story than if you went to another direction. There were certain boss encounters that you would encounter. There was like closure to storylines. That's what made it so cool. And on top of that, it had multiplayer, but you know, if you really think about it, Star Fox, the very first game, wasn't even that good to begin with. Really, go back and try and play the original Star Fox. It's not a great game, but Star Fox 64, thanks to uh, how much uh, better the technology was, how much smoother the graphics was, the voice acting, all of that just made it so special. Not to mention, it was the game that was bundled with the Rumble Pack. Yes, you could say that Star Fox 64 is the reason all of our controllers vibrate to this day. But that's gonna do it! For strong history. Good show. Good show. Well, we've done everything we can here today. So what do you say we close out the show? Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Crychop. That's at Dr. Crychop. It's very simple. Follow me on there. Or you can follow uh, Video Games Are Dumb and The Pressure Cast by following at VGA Dumb. That is VGA Dumb. The word dumb. Uh, or you can go to uh, facebook.com slash VGA dumb. I'm gonna have a video up for arms I'm gonna have a video up for cave story and then I'm gonna dive deep into the crash bandicoot uh, Collection later this week. So stay tuned to youtube.com slash video games are dumb Let me know what you want on the channel what you were looking for what you like about the pressure cast What you don't what you want more videos about what you don't give me that honest feedback. All right Okay, that sounds good because I'm at the end of my rope that's right, I'm at the end of my rope. My rope had a beginning, and now it, it, I'm at the end of it. Because everything has to end. But not the pressure cast, because the pressure cast is forever.
See you guys.